So my opening question today, hoping to get us thinking, to get us ready to study the Bible, is what is a pastor to do? Might seem like kind of a strange question because, I mean, it works for me because I'm a pastor. Uh, we have some other pastors here. Some pastors uh, listen to sermons online later in the week. So since most of you aren't pastors... How self-serving for me to have a whole sermon be about what is a pastor to do? Why would I even say that at the beginning of a sermon? It seems exclusive and introductions are supposed to include everybody. Well, because when you ask the question, what's a pastor to do? Uh, very similar to that would be, what's a church to do? Because, not always, but commonly, as goes the pastor, so goes the church, or so goes the church, so goes the pastor, they're related. And since all Christians are supposed to have pastors, they're, they're related issues. And not only that, when we study the Bible and we hear directions given to pastors, well, Timothy, for example, in Second Timothy, is pastoring a church. First Timothy tells us he's pastoring a church in Ephesus, and so no doubt what he learns from the Apostle Paul, he's supposed to share with the people who are members of the congregation because this is their mission. This is what they are called to do, even if it's under his leadership. So what's a pastor to do? Slash, what is a church to do? Well, there are many things, many things that we do, many things that are not that important. They're just trivial things, secondary things. There are many important things that we do, significant biblical things that we do. But I'm asking the question, what is the thing? What is the thing that Omaha Bible Church must be resolutely committed to if we're going to really be a church? What's the one thing, the main thing that our pastors here, pastors anywhere, if they're legitimate Christian pastors, must be committed to come heaven or high water, no matter what? And it's simple. You know the answer. The answer is to proclaiming. We must be committed to proclaiming the gospel. It's of first importance, according to the Apostle Paul elsewhere, we must be. Yes, there's many other things we do and are committed to, but we must be committed to unresolvedly, unhesitatingly, maybe I should say, committed to preaching the gospel, the good news about how a sinner can have their sins forgiven, how they can be accepted by God, and it's through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. We're committed to preaching Christ telling people that if you trust in Christ, not in yourself, not in religion, not in other people, if you trust in Christ, what he has done will be given to you freely, even though it didn't come to him freely, and God accepts you. That's why the Bible says he's the one mediator, which is interesting. There are many mediators, but he's the one that you need to have eternal life. That's what we're committed to. We must be committed to that. But sometimes... Pastors struggle with identity crises. Sometimes congregations do as well, especially when there's pressure to do something different. And we struggle and we sometimes are drifting when it comes to our resolute mission. And that's why a book like Second Timothy is awesome. Okay, so we're studying Second Timothy. We're almost done. And so we're in chapter four today. If you have a Bible, you can find Second Timothy chapter four. Paul's swan song, his last words, this is the last chapter he would ever write in a letter that's 
included in scripture. So we know it's going to be important. We know it's going to be vital. It's been so significant in my life. It should be significant in every pastor's life. It should be significant in your life if you are a Christian. And in our life as a local congregation, we should know and take to heart the, the robust, powerful, clear exhortation in Second Timothy chapter 4. If you're a note taker and you'd like to follow my outline, I have an outline before me today. It's Second Timothy chapter 4, and it will be four divinely mandated reasons. Four reasons, four divinely mandated reasons why every faithful pastor must resolve, must commit to preaching the biblical gospel. Four reasons why every Christian congregation like this one must resolve to preaching the biblical gospel. That's what this text is about. And when I say resolve, I like that kind of language because you resolve to do things before you actually even have to do them, right? I'm going to do this no matter what, crawl over broken glass if necessary, persecution if necessary. We've learned about that in Second Timothy. I'm going to do this no matter what happens. If it means popularity or if it means persecution, I'm resolved at doing this. I'm not going to quit. And that's the, the, the tenor. That's the feel of this passage. And I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. Number one, first reason, sorry for a mouthful, abbreviate, okay? Number one, first reason, because the Bible alone is God's sufficient revelation for salvation. Because the Bible alone is God's sufficient revelation for salvation. Because we don't, in other, in other words, we don't go elsewhere to learn about how people can be saved from their sins. We don't go elsewhere to figure out how people can be saved from the judgment that comes justly from God. You don't learn about this salvation by looking at the solar system. You can learn other things, but you can't learn about how a person can be saved. You can't look at human anatomy. Well, you can, and you can learn a lot of things about the way God made, made things, but you can't learn about how to gain eternal life apart from God's special revelation that comes to us from the Bible. And so we'd better be committed to preaching the biblical gospel because to preach a different gospel other than the biblical gospel is not actually the gospel. Follow me? Am I going too fast for you? Probably not. We've got to be committed to preaching the biblical gospel because if we're preaching a different gospel other than the one that's found in the Bible, it won't be the right one. And there are other gospels. Paul talks about that in Galatians. People have all kinds of interesting ideas about how it is a person can be in a right relationship with God. Paul's urging Timothy to not listen, to stick to the script, as I like to say. Resolve to preaching the biblical gospel because the, Bibli the Bible alone gives us the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Here we go. Oh, did I say chapter 4? We actually have to go back to chapter 3. So I lied. Um, but it was on purpose. Um, because here's we're going to go to 3 and then we're going to go to 4. Because, because remember, we add the chapter divisions. We've added those much later. This is a letter originally. We've added chapter 4, verses 1, etc. for convenience so we can all find it easier together. So we are going to get to chapter 4. But in chapter 3 at the end, it, it carries. it's meant to, on purpose to carry the freight. Right? To carry the 
power that, that, that we were meant to read chapter four in light of chapter three. So the first reason is actually tied to chapter three. How about if you go, go there with me? 315. And how from childhood you, Timothy, Paul the Apostle's writing to him, he's his mentor, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. It's another way of saying the Bible, the Old Testament there, which are able to make you wise for salvation. How? How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So you, you, you even have grown up this way to know that the Bible gives you the answers as to how to be saved. Even the Old Testament tells you that it has to be through the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate King, the ultimate Lamb. And so you know this. And so then he's going to go on to exhort him, to challenge him, to not waver from the Bible. Don't come up with salvation theories. Even if you're feeling the pressure to do so, that there are more than one, there's more than one way to heaven, you know. All paths eventually get there as long as you're sincere or something like that. He's, he's telling him, yeah, that might be trendy in very religious, very spiritual Ephesus, but you know how to learn about salvation and you've known it for a long time. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Okay. The sacred writings. You're a Christian pastor after all. Right? Don't flinch. Christian church, after all, don't flinch. The sacred writings to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to give us that classic explanation. He's building upon that, though. All scripture, another way of saying sacred writings, another way of saying B-I-B-L-E, is breathed out by God. See, divine origin and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that would be pastor talk, and he's pastoring a church, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to insert, because it captures the idea, every good work in context, every good gospel ministry work. Where do you learn about good news for salvation? You learn it from the Bible. And it's sufficient to teach you about Christian ministry and gospel outreach, salvation outreach. Timothy, don't go somewhere else. Don't go somewhere else. You, you already know this. Okay? So, reason number one why we should resolve, plant both feet like we're guarding something in the military or in an athletic event because he uses that kind of imagery in just a little while. We'll see it. Stand firm, be resolved. Omaha Bible Church, Pat Abendroth, other pastors, other churches, be resolved to proclaiming the biblical gospel because the Bible is God's infallible, inspired, inerrant word. In other words, it's God-breathed. It's the sacred writing that makes people wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? I think it makes tons of sense. It's, 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 abs- it's just super reasonable what he's getting at. Why are we going to go and listen to someone tell us something different? Why is the Christian church going to try to figure out how to do Christian ministry from somewhere other than God when we actually have God-breathed Scripture? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Ready to move on to number two? How far are we going to get today? I, I, we might get all the way done. I don't know. Okay, now we get to number two. If we don't, that's fine as well. We won't finish the book today, though, that's for sure. Number two, every faithful pastor, every faithful congregation, and with the Christian membership support, must resolve to preach the biblical gospel, number two, because God requires it. Because God requires it. 
Maybe my favorite reason for most things in life, right? Well, why should we do that? Because God says, right? So it's the great, awesome parent card, right? Well, why are we going to do that? Because I say, kind of like that, but anyway. All right, we move on. And I I tried it with my wife and it didn't work. (laughs) Okay. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I charge you. And I'm saying with a raised voice because it's that kind of thing. Serious. I charge you. I originally learned this in the New American Standard Translation, which translates it, I solemnly charge you. Because that's the idea. And it's the idea according to context because he's going to call witnesses and his witnesses will include God. God the Father and God the Son. I solemnly courtroom talk charge you. So you're going to be commissioned, Timothy, as a pastor, and then you're going to communicate this this to the Christian congregation that you pastor. You've been solemnly commissioned, solemnly charged. And we don't pick it up necessarily in the English language, but Greek experts tell us, like George Knight, my favorite commentator in the original languages on this text, he says, the I is emphatic. I charge you. Well, who do you think you are? Well, thank you for asking. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle in the first century is one who speaks with the authority of the one they represent. This is why I like to say the whole New Testament is red letter. What Paul says is on equal footing with what Jesus says if he's a true apostle. I, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who conquered sin and death, I commission you as if it's him. I solemnly charge you. This is great. This is, this is like pin drop kind of stuff. Whatever he's going to say at the end of his life, because of who he is, this is something we'd better listen to. How about this? If we can't get, the, if, we, if we don't take this seriously... We should just pack it in. I solemnly charge you. And then he says in verse 1, in the presence of God. See, I wasn't making that up. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the ultimate king, the ultimate savior. That's what Christ Jesus means. So in his presence too, and you claim to be a Christian pastor. Verse 1 then says, look there with me if you would, who is to judge the living and the dead. See, courtroom talk, judgment talk, the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom... Fear is a factor here. Should be for, for all Christians because all Christians are supposed to belong to congregations and all Christians are supposed to have pastors and this should be, this should be serious for all pastors. What is he going to say? We already know what he's going to say, but I'm rhetorically saying, what is he going to say? I mean, I'm, I'm just thankful at this point in time that I know that I know that I know that the Apostle Paul knows, and I've learned from him, and you've learned from, from him, that according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or I might just be thinking, if you're not a good pastor, you're going to hell. <laughs> if you're not a, not a good, faithful church, you guys are going to hell. I don't think that, because I know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's judgment talk too, so he's the ultimate one we trust in. But don't let that take, have that take away your, your terror. 
But don't let that take away the seriousness of this and, and, and the sober moment of it all. There will be a day where you answer. Hebrews says that you will give an account for watching over people's souls if you're a leader. Oh, that's serious. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Leaders are those who will give an account. James chapter 3 says, Not let many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. I know that's not for my justification, but nevertheless it's there. So I'm serious about this. If we can't be serious about church, and can't be serious about being a pastor, and we can't be serious about what it means to be a Christian who's a member of a church, and what our mission in life is, and what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, God help us. God help us maybe to shut things down and let somebody else who's serious do it. And here's the command. Here it is. The command of all commands, if you will. In verse 2, he says in three simple words, preach the word. There it is. It's all been building to that. Preach the word. Preach the word. And we, we actually know, or maybe we don't know at first, but we should say, well, what's that mean? That's the main command that, that carries the, the day. Preach the word. Herald the word. Proclaim the word. Well, what does he mean by word? Well, in our context, uh, verse 3 uses a synonym and calls it sound teaching. Healthy teaching, literally. Uh, in verse 4, it's referred to a synonym uh, as the truth. But I would even want to go further than that and broaden our circle. We interpret the Bible in context with the Bible. Well, what's the word? Well, the word in 316 is scripture. Uh, the word in 315 uh, would be the sacred writings that make people wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. We could, you know, we could do this all day long and step back and say, well, according to John chapter 1, the word, John 1, 1 and John 1, 14, the word would be Jesus. Word has to do with revelation. Okay, not the book of Revelation, but what's revealed from God. Scripture is revelation from God. Sacred writings are scripture from God. Uh, the truth was another way of describing scripture from God. Sound, t- healthy teaching uh, would, would have to do with uh, what's healthy spiritually from God and could overlap with revelation and scripture. You see, he's, he's saying the same thing in a lot of different ways. Preach the Bible. Preach the Bible, which is, I'm going to go even further, which is where you learn the gospel. Preach the word who would be, the word became flesh. Preach Jesus. How about this? Let's put it together. Preach Jesus from the Bible. Okay? Well, if you put it all together. Preach the sacred writings. Preach the Bible. Which, is, which are able to, to lead you to salvation, make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. So we preach the gospel, the truth about Christ, the Bible, because the Bible is actually the truth about Christ. That's what we do. So I think we can say it in different ways. Some people say it's only the Bible in general, and I think it's better to preach the Bible in general than to not preach the Bible at all. But the Bible is actually about Jesus. Even Jesus says in John chapter 5, Moses wrote about me. Even the sacred writings, the Old Testament writings, are meant to make people wise unto salvation. Paul says it right there in 315 in Christ Jesus. 
So it's not, it's not rocket science. What, what are, what is the Christian church commissioned to do? We're commissioned to proclaim the truth about, remember what I said? What's the Christian church supposed to do? Commission to preach the Christian message, which is in the name to preach Christ from the Bible though, not in according to Pat's imagination, not according to, to my favorite theologian, even or yours or who's popular to preach it from the Bible because reason number one, 3, 15, 16, and 17 carries the freight into our passage, solemn charging, preach that word that makes people wise into salvation. It's so good. I, I love this. In part because I'm a simpleton and I just want to keep things simple and, and not get confused with things, but I love it because it's such a clear call. And it also helps us to be clear about who's playing for this team and who's not playing for this team. It it, kind of makes things clear. Are are we doing this or are we not doing this? No one's doing it perfectly, but are we doing this or are we not doing this? I like the clarity. It's pretty straightforward. I'll go so far as to say, if if I'm not doing this, you you, you need to not be duped and confused it's so clear what's a pastor to do i need need to be gotten rid of find a pastor who can at least figure this out the content of his proclamation and by application our proclamation is crystal clear would you agree or do we need to have this be a three-parter i mean I, i can keep going this is like okay that the content is is Uber clear, utterly clear, explicitly clear. It's the word. It's the revelation regarding Jesus ultimately. Now, let's, let's not go too fast though yet. Um, how about the method even? The method of delivery, I think our text has something to say about that. He does say preach. It's a word that's used in the ancient world for public proclamation. So I hope right now I'm speaking in a way that's conversational because I want you to be engaged. It's part of the art of communication. But we're doing more than having a, con- a-, a conversation. I'm preaching. I- I- I'm raising my voice and I'm, I'm heralding something that, that I think is actually true and-, and binding upon all people. That's preaching. Yes, in the ancient world, People who were leaders, people who were in places that were dignified, sometimes had heralds. And they would herald a certain message, and it wasn't up for debate or discussion. They are to say, thus saith, lowercase l, the Lord of our province. When it comes to the gospel and the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, it's to be heralded. It's heraldic terminology to give you a new word perhaps for the day. One commentator says this, in Paul's day, a ruler had a special herald who made announcements to the people. He was commissioned by the ruler to make his announcement in a loud, clear voice so everyone could hear. He was not, this is interesting from this commentator. He was not an ambassador. We, we have a category, a biblical category for ambassadors. They're, they have an important role. So we're not knocking that, but this seems to be different. He was not an ambassador with the privilege of negotiating. He was a messenger with a proclamation to be heard and heeded. 
We know it's going to come across as arrogant sometimes. Who do you think you are? Hopefully the right answer is a nobody. But I have good news from a somebody. And I'm here to tell you it's good news. But it's going to be misunderstood. The tone is going to be misunderstood. I mean, so many times, even when I'm preaching, I'm like, what in the world are you even thinking or doing? And why does anybody come? Even the manner is countercultural sometimes, at least in my own head. So if I don't do this, I think I'm telling you a lot about myself. That I don't think the Bible is actually as true as it claims to be. Um, I don't fear Jesus and accountability to him. Maybe I don't actually think the gospel's true. But, but I think, and I would think the same thing about you if I were a visitor and, and you tolerated as a congregation something other than, than the proclamation of the good news regarding Jesus, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. It's offered free, freely to everyone who trusts in him. And when you trust in him, there is therefore now no condemnation, guaranteed. But if I weren't hearing that, I'd think, I don't know what these people believe, but I know they don't believe the truth about Christ. Even if their doctrinal statement says that they do. Timothy could go around Ephesus trying to impress maybe fellow Christians. You know, I I was discipled by the Apostle Paul. Well, big whoop. Your gospel's not the same as his. Just by way of illustration, we can make all kinds of great claims and who we are and what we've done. And, but the proof ends up being in the preaching, the proclamation. What do we stand for? What do we not stand for? Can they be trusted? Can they not be? Do, I, do, do we really believe? Do we as a congregation really believe that the sacred writings are able to make one wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus? I'm thankful that I think we do. But it doesn't guarantee we're going to tomorrow. So this is, this is good. This is, I've mentioned this before in the series. I don't feel the need to be in like blasting reproof rebuke mode because we're doing such a terrible job. I'm encouraged. I'm thrilled. I'm thankful. Now, a little bit more about how to, how how do we do this? How is he to do this? In verse two, we're still on second reason because God says so, but then he gives him more according to the apostle. Verse two says, be ready in season and out of season. Is it a good time for tomatoes right now? Well, it depends on who you ask. Um, Some of the tomatoes in the grocery store look better than the ones that I get from your gardens. Um, but I tend to trust the ones I get from your gardens better or more, I mean, and they tend to taste better. They're not really in season. Illustration doesn't work because of greenhouses and all this stuff. I know. But things have seasons when they're better and when they're not, like produce. Well, gospel preaching has seasons. And sometimes people are really into it. 
And sometimes people are not really into it, depending on where they are, depending on the time of year, depending on who knows all kinds of different things. But here's the thing. The resolve is preach the text regarding Jesus because God requires it and he requires it in season and out of season. So when it's popular and you have a lot of likes and a lot of hits and a lot of downloads and when it's not popular and you, you do it both ways. Ultimately, it's, it's because you're not trying to please people, even though we are all trying to please people in certain ways. But ultimately, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Ultimately, we as a congregation need to be thinking, what does the Lord think of this? That's it. It's super straightforward. But I'm really glad that this is in here. In season and out of season. Be, be, be ready. Be prepared. Fits the resolute kind of uh, thing. Now, he goes on to say, because it's not always uh, to be a positive kind of message, he goes on to say even more in verse 2, reprove, comma, rebuke. Reproving is something you end up doing when you tell people they're wrong. And in our context, when you tell people they're wrong about Jesus, when you tell people they're wrong about the gospel, when you tell people they're wrong about how to gain eternal life, I would take it all in that context. They're wrong about sound doctrine regarding salvation and growth in Christ. So as you preach the truth about Jesus, there also has to be, yes, it's good news, but sometimes you don't understand the good if you don't understand where you're off. And so he says, he uses the word reprove. So preaching should have a reproving element telling people, no, that's not the right way to think about Jesus. He was not 50% God and 50% man. That's not true. He is the God man. Truly God and truly man at the same time. How do we know this? Because 3.16 and 17, 3.15, 16 and 17, based upon scripture, not based upon somebody else. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. There's a time for saying, actually, you know what? That, that's, that's not right. You need to not believe it that way anymore. And then he also uses that negative word rebuke. That's when you're telling people to stop. I, I have to tell you where, you where you're wrong about that. And, and I need you to say, I, I need you to stop believing that. <laughs> I need you to stop teaching that. I need you to stop believing that because that's actually not the historic Christian faith based upon what ultimately based upon scripture. You say, but, but I heard somebody else say it. And it goes back to reason number one, three, 15, 16, and 17, right? So there's a place for the negativity. Here it is. Our Kent Hughes in his commentary says uh, that you have to require, this requires that you're not a people pleaser or a popularity seeker and certainly not a flatterer. So there can be a negative tone. There is some confrontation. John the Baptist came preaching and his message was not, he gets us. Right? But if we didn't understand the need for repentance from John the Baptist, we wouldn't understand we have a sin problem and we wouldn't need to understand the good news of salvation in the one who atones for sin, right? So there is this negativity of saying that's, that's not right. And by the way, you're not right. And so you need Jesus so you can be in a right relationship with God. You see, there, there's a sting to it. it it's good news, but you've got to understand some bad things first. 
reprove and rebuke. And then he says in verse two, exhort. Now, now we're getting positive. Exhort. So if that's not right and, and you shouldn't believe it anymore and you shouldn't act in light of it now, and let me tell you the right thing. Let me tell you what's true. Let me, let me be positive now. So it's not just scolding kind of stuff. Right thinking, right acting is how that word is used. Then in verse two, if you go on with me, you'll see that it says with complete patience, appropriate patience, sincere patience and teaching more positivity. Now that assumes there's going to be some difficulty and it's going to be hard when you're a teacher or a pastor and shepherding people. You know, people aren't always just going to get it got to be patient. It's going to take some time. They wouldn't need you otherwise, which is important to remember. Maybe a rhetorical question before we move things on, and it's this. Where are these pastors? And we cherish and know and love some of them. And I'm not claiming to have arrived. But one of the reasons I'm a pastor is because it seems like there's a need. Like, would somebody just stand up front and pretend like they're not trying to get elected? (laughs) Just like, and just try to make things clear and clearly from the text. And so you could read it and I can read it together and you can say, oh, that makes sense. Instead of trust me. I'm like, what? Thankfully, there are such individuals and there are such congregations and we praise the Lord for them and have great relationships and great friendships, but it doesn't seem to be the norm. And so we're committed to doing things like training next generation, helping, supporting missionaries. And I'm thankful for this congregation and what the Lord has done. We haven't arrived, but I'm so thankful that this is what we actually want Third reason for being resolved, resolute to preach the biblical gospel. Number three, because others will oppose it. Because others will oppose it. Verses three to five. So preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, long suffering, all, all of that in teaching. Then verse three, he says, he gives a reason for the time is coming. It can be, it's another seasonal word. This, this time can come and go. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Literally healthy teaching. Hypodermic, is, I think is the related word, and it carries over into English. You just need to know, Timothy, that a time is coming when people aren't going to put up with it. In the context, based upon what he's going to say, I don't think he means those crazy pagans in Ephesus. I think he's actually talking about people who profess to be Christians. Based upon what he's going to say in just a little while. These aren't people who are like, I don't want to learn anything about God. They're actually going to accumulate lots of teachers that will tell them what they want to hear about God. So I don't think he's, you know, Timothy, I just want you to know that the the great secularization is coming and it's creeping in from Ephesus. That might be true, but that doesn't seem to be what's going on here. So it's important for us to remember the the problem in this particular case, the, the great problem would not be with the atheists, if you will. Maybe not even the polytheists. 
It's those who still say that they're Christians. So let's keep reading. We better be resolved for the time is coming when people will not endure. They won't put up with healthy gospel teaching, healthy Christ-centered teaching, the truth regarding Christ, the word that we learned about in verse 2. He's just using another way of saying the same thing, healthy teaching. They won't put up with the very thing that they need to have is the idea, which is really important that we we would see it for what it is. There's going to be a disdain. There's going to be an intolerance to what is actually what they need, which is actually what is healthy. And we can kind of understand the illustration. We, we, when we need medicine, if you will, or we need that which is healthy and we're uninformed or we're short-sighted, we avoid it. It happens to each of us when we're young. At a particular time, we're made to do certain things that are good for us, even though we don't want to do them. But we would prefer to find other people who would just affirm all of our wildest dreams and desires. But what we need is we actually need the medicine. We actually need the nutrition. We actually need certain things. And he's using that kind of imagery. It's what they need, Timothy, but they're not going to want what they need. Verse 3, look there with me if you would. But having itching ears, New American Standard, wanting to have their ears tickled. They, they, they see, they want to be taught. They, they like teaching. They like instruction. But they don't like the reproving and the exhorting in our context. They will accumulate. It's a graphic way of describing. Literally, they, they'll heap up. They'll have piles of them. They'll have all kinds of downloads in their podcast feed. Or something. You get the idea. They're, they're going to like religious teaching. They don't like the healthy kind. They will accumulate. They will heap up like gluttons for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions. That pastor just keeps telling me that I'm not right and I don't fit in with historic biblical Christianity. But you know what? Who's he? Because I found a whole lot of people who will just affirm me is what he's getting at. And that's frustrating. It kind of makes me want to change. Might make you want to change. Might make us want to change. Be resolved. They're collecting teachers. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 31 that says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. You go, wow, that was a bad time in the Old Testament. These seasons go, come and go sometimes. But what happens is disastrous. How about verse 4? We want the ear ticklers. We want people to tell us that we're good and it's good to be good. So keep being good and God will think it's all good, right? Or whatever it is. Verse four, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth. Let's have that be in context. The truth would be the word, would be sound doctrine, would be the truth regarding Christ, would be the gospel according to scripture. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that's not healthy because it's not God-breathed because it's not what leads people to be wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. It's been a long time since I've looked at it. I probably should have looked at it this week, but I'm confessing my sin. Um, I'm 99% sure the way it's literally rendered would be they, they turn away from the truth and as they do so, it becomes inevitable that their 
turning away to myths. One goes with the other. Then it says in verse 5, as for you, Timothy, right? I'm going to take those words to heart for myself as a pastor, hopefully for you as a church member. But as for you, always be sober-minded. When you're sober, you think you're best. You have clarity like you don't have otherwise. Right? So be sober-minded. Be clear about what the church is called to do. Be clear about what pastors are called to do, what we're called to, to, to be and do. Be sober-minded about this matter. And that will allow you to be more resolved because verse 5 says, endure suffering. Who wants to do that? Not me. But if I'm sober-minded, I can think I'm going to endure suffering because my allegiance is ultimately to Him and He's ultimately the one who's commissioned us and it's the good news that's come graciously from Him about the Lord Jesus Christ that makes people wise into salvation. Oh, duh! I'm going to take it on the chin if I need to. I'm going to suffer if I need to. Suffering on its own, if you're not sober-minded, doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would I want to endure family conflict because of my commitment to the gospel? I wouldn't. Unless I'm sober-minded and I can think, I guess I'll face whatever I have to face because I'm thinking clearly. I hope you're thinking clearly. Endure suffering. Then it says in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. I find that super interesting. We probably won't take much time on it, but do the work of an evangelist. Well, I guess Timothy's a pastor. doesn't seem like he has the gift of evangelism that we learn about elsewhere. But guess what pastors do? They preach the good news about Christ, the word, sound doctrine. I think pastors, even by definition, are evangelists. I'm more convinced of that than ever. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of the good news proclaimer. I've got good news for you. And we would even learn, and we won't take the time to go there, that the good news of salvation in Christ isn't just for unbelievers. Paul, in Romans chapter 16, ties it to the growth of believers. So do the work of an evangelist. Evangelize Christians. Then he says in verse 5, fulfill your ministry. What a great summary statement. Isn't that what we really actually want to do in our sober moments? Why in the world does Omaha Bible Church exist? Well, for friends, for relationships, for... we got a killer metal building. <laughs> I mean, all of these things. No, I mean, I, I'm I'm thankful for... Friends, I'm thankful for relationships, but we can find friends and relationships somewhere else. And and we can find better buildings somewhere else. And on and on the list goes. So what is our ministry? Our ministry is gospel proclamation. In the context of the whole book, it also would include gospel protection, but we're not really there right now. We are all about proclaiming Christ to Christians and non-Christians. That's our business. That's what we do. Be resolved to it no matter what, even if there's persecution and... This is how we would fulfill our calling. In a sense, could we boil it down to, it's as if the Lord said, I just ask you to do one thing. It's all I asked. I didn't ask you to get certain people elected in Babylon, I mean Omaha, um, or the United States of America. I didn't ask you to transform the culture so somehow... The world's going to be a better place. I already have a plan to destroy it. Um, <laughs> I didn't ask you to. We could go on and on. I just ask you one thing. 
proclaim the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ because it's everyone's greatest need. Unbeliever and believer alike. Fulfill your ministry. I've been told by mentor preachers that it's always good to want people to come back for more rather than having them hate you for going so long. So we're going to end with three. We'll do number four next week. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save, who is willing to save. We're thankful that the Lord Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. And we know that Jesus is the ultimate one where we find rest. He's our ultimate Sabbath. Because it is in Christ that we do not need to try to earn our own way. We know that you require perfection. That you require that we love you with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know that we don't. And we know that we also fall short when it comes to our relationships. And and, and none of us have ever loved our neighbor as ourselves perfectly as you require. And so, Lord, we're so thankful to be able to look to Jesus and to know that he actually did those things for us. And he paid the penalty for our not doing those things. Lord, thank you so much for calling us to yourself, but also calling us to do gospel ministry in Omaha, Nebraska and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.